The following audio is from The Well. We are a church that is committed to gospel growth, family formation, and missional engagement in Hastings, Nebraska. More information about The Well can be found at www.thewellhastings.com. We hope the message you are about to hear will spur you on to growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be formed as a follower of Jesus, and to be engaged in the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost within the yard of hell. Acts 10.24-11.18 through 11, 18, Beginning in verse 24 of chapter 10. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, Why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged, the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the, um, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter came or went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. 
I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. <coughs> but I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Let's pray. Father, um, over the last couple of weeks, we've watched this story unfold as you advance the message of your kingdom deep into the heart of groups of people and places that we typically would avoid and feel uncomfortable going to. And yet, Father, we have this example of your son Jesus coming to us. Filthy sinners, enemies of you, and yet you sent your son Jesus, and he came willingly and full of joy so that he might go to the cross, so that we might have the opportunity to be transformed from enemies into family. So God, I pray today as we study this text that you would continue to bring the gospel to bear on our hearts and lives. Help us, Father, to repent, to turn to you. Repent of places where we have hated those who are different or evil or, or those who are like our enemies. And help us, Father, um, to reach across the proverbial aisle so that we might see people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation surrender, become part of your family. God, pray that you would do that and then some, as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So, hey, guys, one of, the, one of the things I love is large bodies of water, okay? Nothing beats the sun coming up over a large lake with the haze of the morning fog in the air. You got the sounds of the water gently hitting the sides of a boat. You got the, the ripples of water that seem to go on and on as far as I can see, right? Ever experienced that? See, sometimes that ripple of water can merely dissipate once it reaches the outer banks of the shoreline. And, and other times, that little ripple of water, with the right circumstances, of course, the wind being blown into it to start with, 
can become a, a tsunami-like tidal wave that consumes anything in its path and, and can literally affect an entire population for centuries. If you think about that image of a massive tidal wave, keep that in your mind. I want you to think about where we're at in our study of God's word today. So last week, we jumped back into this series in the book of Acts. We observed how the Lord began to advance the message of the gospel beyond the borders, beyond the shorelines of the comfort zone in Jerusalem. We think of Jerusalem kind of like a tiny little harbor in the ocean of the entire world. What's happening here is God is advancing the gospel beyond that tiny harbor into the danger zone of the Gentile nations, out into the choppy waters of the neighboring enemy harbors. These tiny little ripples of the gospel are becoming like a tidal wave that will eventually crash into and through the ends of the earth. You see, in God's providence, he chose to begin this movement, this gospel tidal wave, by orchestrating a miraculous meetup between the Apostle Peter, who was the, the main leader of the Jewish Christians in his day, and a man named Cornelius, a Gentile Roman centurion. And these two men couldn't be further apart from a cultural, relational, ethnic, vocational, political standpoint. But without, while they were miles apart in terms of the world's standards, there's one thing that united them, and it was their love for the Lord. You see, the gospel knows no boundaries. It cannot be contained to the cultural, relational, vocational, ethnic, or, or political constructs that we often place upon it. And the reality, biblically speaking, is that the gospel has always been available to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, according to Revelation 7-9. When Jesus told the original disciples in Acts 1-8 that he would send his spirit to them, so that they, actually upon them, so that they would be empowered to be his witnesses throughout Jerusalem, you got the comfort of the home team, throughout Judea and Samaria, you got the discomfort of the enemy team, and to the ends of the earth, which is the great unknown, when Jesus promised that this would be the pattern of how he would plant his church through the advancement of the tidal wave of the gospel, he followed through. And this portion of scripture that, that we've been studying last week and now this week, this is the precise moment in church history where God began advancing his kingdom tidal wave beyond the known borders of Jerusalem into the dangerous borders of Judea and Samaria. And this precise movement at this precise moment in time with Peter and Cornelius is like a lightning bolt that shocks the entire nation of Israel. This precise moment was about so much more than connecting two very different men to one another. You see, the, the ripple effects of what we're studying here literally impacts centuries of the gospel being advanced to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. You think about it. You and I are literally recipients of those ripple effects because we literally are Cornelius's Gentile household. We're, 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 we're descendants of Cornelius. So I want you to check out the flow of the text with me. The, the first thing you see here is Peter witnesses to Cornelius' household. In verses 24 through 26, chapter 10, Peter gets to Cornelius' house, right? And both men relate to one another in humility. Okay, the differences that separated these two men previously are clearly laid aside as they both take up a humble posture that is 
an evidence of hearts that long to please God. Cornelius doesn't try to posture his worldly power over Peter. Peter doesn't relish in Cornelius's worship. They're merely two very different men who are meeting together in a home to discover what God is about to do in their midst. So we could learn a lot and apply a lot of things from this moment in biblical history to our lives just by simply evaluating how often we find ourselves in the homes of people who are very different from us. Like you might begin by looking around this room and evaluating how often you spend time in the home of someone who is very different from you that you call brother or sister in Christ on Sunday mornings. Like you think about this, if you and I do not practice this very basic thing as a church family, how will we ever practice it among the lost? Look at verses 27 through 29, and Peter simply enters Cornelius' home. And as he enters Cornelius' home, he explains just how dangerous or just how uncomfortable it is for him to make this visit. And he also explains that God has been doing a major work of transformation in his heart to lead him to this point. And oftentimes, you think about this, we get so enamored with the process of belonging to a church family that we pay very little attention to becoming an actual reciprocal family member. Okay, for all the beef that surrounds the physical process of church membership, one thing is for certain. Being a member who belongs to God's family must necessarily include being a member who is becoming a new creation day by day. You see, in this specific part of the story, God is changing Peter's heart so that he will become not just a member who belongs, but also a member who becomes friends with someone who is radically different from him. Can you and I say that we are friends with people who are radically different from us? Once again, look around the room. Who do you see that is radically different from you? Whose home you spent time in? or whom you've invited to spend time in your home. Think about it. Peter is, after all, in Cornelius' home, at Cornelius' invitation. Speaking of Cornelius' invitation, Peter is interested in knowing why Cornelius invited him over. And so in verses 30 through 33, Cornelius explains why he sent for Peter. He recounts his miraculous encounter with the Lord a few days earlier, and he expresses his desire to hear whatever the Lord has put into Peter's heart to share. Cornelius' attitude is not pompous, nor is it arrogant. Cornelius is simply eagerly ready to receive from the Lord through Peter. Once again, we have much to learn. We have much to apply to our own lives. As you think about this challenge to spend time in the homes of people who are very different from you, it is important to think about the attitude with which you follow through on that challenge. Would you express your eager desire to hear from the Lord through a newfound friend who is vastly different from you? Or would you only spend time with that newfound friend to merely check the box of so-called obedience or even worse? Would you only spend time with someone who is different than you just to sniff out some deficiency to criticize in them. 
See, if you and I would be about the business of building relationships with those who are vastly different from us because we truly desire to hear from the Lord through one another, then I can assure you we all would experience the beauty and the joy of gospel transformation that results from diversity in what I would call gospel-centered relationships. See, gospel-centered relationships are not concerned with the mere cultural focus on finding your own group of friends that have the same interests and hobbies and love for food as you do. Gospel-centered relationships are focused on hearing from the Lord through one another amidst diversity. And speaking of the gospel being the center of diverse relationships, look at verses 34 through 43. And Peter preaches the gospel in its entirety with an emphasis that brings the tidal wave of the gospel to a bullseye in the word everyone in verse 43. God literally shows no partiality, 34 through 35. He's not prejudiced against those who are different from him because the son whom he sent to Israel is the Lord of all, verse 36. And what happened to Jesus did not merely happen within the confines of Israel, verse 37. What happened with Jesus all the way from his baptism, verse 37, to his perfect life and miraculous works, verse 38, to his brutal death upon the cross, verse 39, to his miraculous resurrection from the grave, verse 40, to his current seat next to God the Father as the righteous king and judge of the living and the dead, verse 42. Just as the prophets throughout the centuries had borne witness to, verse 43. This Jesus is the center of the gospel that Peter has come to witness about to Cornelius' household, verses 41 through 43. And, and according to Peter, everyone who believes in him, meaning Christ Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name, verse 43. So Peter here literally centers his newfound relationship with Cornelius around the bullseye of the diversity of the gospel. Jesus didn't come just for people who look or act or behave or have the same interests as him. Jesus came to ransom and to redeem and to unite people from every walk of life. Let that sink in as you think about reaching across the aisle to people who look and act and behave and have different interests than you do. What could possibly be the outcome of this message? I'm glad you asked because in verses 44 through 48, Cornelius and all his household received salvation in such a miraculous way that it was confirmed by their speaking in tongues and extolling God in verse 46, just as the original apostles had done on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Now, don't get this wrong. You don't need to speak in tongues to be saved. That's not the point. God was using a miraculous sign to prove and to show that God had definitely moved the salva his salvation message out from within the confines of Jerusalem and the home team, out into the Gentile nations, Judea and Samaria, the enemy team. See, there was no doubt in Peter's mind, or, or, or even in the minds of his six-man crew, that these Gentiles are being saved and empowered for ministry in the same fashion as they have been. Therefore, these new believers would seal the deal of their salvation through their public baptism by submersion in water, just as Jesus had commanded in Matthew 28. 
And in a further display of that great commission instruction to teach new believers to observe all that Jesus had commanded him, Peter and his crew remained in Cornelius' home for a few more days, no doubt sharing God's word and sharing his commands with their newfound brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the overriding principle of this entire section of the text is that Peter went out of his way to spend time with Cornelius, to build a relationship around the message of the gospel, to further proclaim the word of God. And the result is that Peter not only witnessed the gospel to Cornelius' household, but he also witnessed the tidal wave of the gospel advancing into a people group and a region of the world that he previously would have had nothing to do with. The question is, can the same be said of you and I. Is God using you like a pebble in a pond to create waves of gospel transformation in the homes of people who are very different from you? And maybe the best concrete way to apply this to your life, once again, is to look around this room and ask God to reveal just one person, one family that is very different from you, whose home you've not spent time in, who you've never had spend time in your home, and then begin making concrete steps towards beginning that relationship today. I want you to remember, obedience to God's word is not half-hearted, nor is it halfway. Obedience is part of repentance, right? Like most people think of repentance as mere confession of sin. Now, confession of sin is useless outside of clearing the conscience for a short time. But when confession is paired with spirit-empowered obedience, then repentance has the effect of transforming and changing our lives. And this is not only about our own individual transformation, because see, if you do this, if you hear and obey this clear call to begin reaching across the aisle to build real gospel-centered relationships with people who are much different than you, then the consequences or the ripple effects of your faith-filled obedience could become a tidal wave as the Spirit of God, like the breath of God, the wind of God, blows in and through your life into other lives, which winds up transforming entire church families for centuries to come. And this is exactly what happens in the final verses of our text. Final verses of our text. Peter witnesses to the church in Jerusalem, verses 1 through 18 of chapter 11. Now, I need to be very brief as we cover these final 18 verses of our text because we're short on time. But in summary, Peter gets called on the carpet by his brothers and sisters in the church back in Jerusalem because of his recent ministry. seems like there are a number of people who are questioning the validity of his ministry because he's quote-unquote hanging out with some supposedly unclean people in an unclean environment, right? That's verses 1 through 3. The church is literally up in arms over the fact that Peter has been yucking it up with those sinners over there in that filthy place we call whatever you fill in the blank with whoever's house or whoever's favorite place to party that you have deemed too filthy to be graced with your righteous presence. This is the attitude of the church in Jerusalem. And Peter's witness to the church with a bad attitude about what it looks like to run a rescue shop within a few feet of hell It's an absolutely stellar study in the nuts and bolts of riding the tidal wave of gospel missions against the current of the modern church's infatuation with comfortable and sleek and polished and timely and well-organized and, might I say, consumer-based ministry models. Peter confronts and defeats all of this with his response. 
In Peter's response, he simply explains his heavenly vision, verses 4 through 10. He explains his experience of witnessing God's powerful salvation. And then he also explains his subsequent spirit empowerment for ministry in Cornelius' household, verses 11 through 15. And he lands the plane on the tidal wave of the gospel by confirming the authenticity of his vision and his experience upon the bedrock of the word of God, verses 16 through 17. You see, vision for ministry, as well as the experiences of ministry, must be substantiated by the word of God. Otherwise, those visions, those experiences will more than likely be nothing more than the pursuit of a man-made religion. Peter's ministry? Peter's ministry was not a man-made religion. It was a ministry that began like the ripples of water from a small pebble that was thrown into the ocean that became a tsunami-like tidal wave that took over the world and still taking the world by storm. I don't want you to miss the final verse of our text because whenever God decides to start a movement, typically begins in the houses of his own people, right? And in this case, after Peter witnesses to the church in Jerusalem, this church has a massive change of heart. They no longer merely belong to the church of Jerusalem. They become part of the worldwide church that is being formed from all tribes, all tongues, and all nations. This church in Jerusalem literally confesses their sin of being prejudiced against people across the aisle from them. And they follow that confession with true obedience, which means... They begin walking in true repentance. They begin to welcome anyone from every walk of life to join them in glorifying God as the God who grants repentance that leads to life, according to verse 18. For everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, look at Romans 10, 5 through 17. See, in conclusion, the thing that I think you and I need to remember as we close up this week's study is this. God loves you and God loves me. He loves us enough to send his one and only son to our home, regardless of our differences, regardless of how filthy it is, so that he would then eventually die in our place for our sin and leave the grave empty three days later. And then he would ascend into heaven with a promise that he would return. And he would also give us a command to fulfill the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And when we think upon all that has taken place over the last two weeks of study, we have to be encouraged that Jesus is literally imaging himself and his ministry to the outsiders through his followers. So if you're hearing this message, then you're in one of two camps. You already belong to the family of God, so you're an insider by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Or you're not. You're an outsider. You want to belong to the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Either way, belonging is only half the journey. And becoming is the other half. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus, I really want to invite you to place your entire trust in him. Confess your sins. Receive forgiveness from Jesus. Be set free from the penalty and the power and the presence of your sin so that you can then be sent forward on mission to share the gospel with others who are radically different than you. If you're a believer today, then I want to challenge you to hear this message as a full frontal challenge to repent, to believe Jesus once again, to walk in spirit-empowered obedience to him, 
as you seek out one person or family who's very different from you in this room right now and begin the day to make plans to get into their home and to get them into your home and to begin a gospel-centered relationship that begins like a tiny ripple in the pond that one day may become a massive gospel-infused tidal wave of transformation that radically changes the world. Father, I ask that you would help us to hear this challenge, to repent of our sin, of either being lazy or just flat out being rebellious when it comes to loving and engaging others who are different from us. Help us to repent of that, to confess that, and then to move forward in obedience, to love those who are different than us, to engage those who are far from us, to, to image and to model the message of the gospel of Jesus, crucified, risen, and returning. Trust you to do this work. In Jesus' name, amen.